Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us today. If you're here today, it's to uh, participate in our New York Workers' Compensation webinar series uh, discussion on temporary disability benefits in New York. Uh, my name is Greg Lois. I'm the managing partner of Lois Law Firm, and I'm here today to present this topic to you. I'm traveling today, and so there's no video, just audio, and also I won't be taking questions today, but feel free to email me after the presentation with any questions you might have. So we're talking about temporary disability benefits in New York workers' compensation context, and this is sort of the natural progression of our webinar series. We begin our series each year talking about specific defenses, and we sort of concluded our discussion of defenses over the last several months. Now we're in our benefits discussion. So July and August, uh, this month we'll be talking about temporary disability benefits, and next month we'll be talking about medical benefits. Now, it's pretty uh, obvious that I time the webinar so that every July we get to temporary disability benefits, and it's because that's when the temporary disability maximum compensation rate changes. Uh, starting in the fall, in September, we'll start getting into trial and more advanced concepts including things like loss of wage earning capacity, exposure, uh, trial strategies, defending occupational exposure claims, and of course, uh, appeals. So let's talk briefly about New York's waiting period. Every jurisdiction uh, has different waiting periods. New York has a seven-day waiting period, and that means that until seven days of lost time have occurred, uh, we do not pay temporary disability benefits. Uh, then that first seven days does get filled in once the 15th day of lost time is reached. So, and, and you know, a lot of clients ask me questions like, hey, Greg, uh, do they have to lose actually seven days? No, it's just they've got to lose a week of time. So even if they were only scheduled to work three days in a week or four days in a week or five days in a week or six days in a week, it doesn't really matter. Uh, once they've uh, missed seven days of a calendar week, then we start paying temporary disability benefits. And it's not until the 15th day or two weeks has elapsed that we go back and start paying it. New York has now made part of our statute the uh, payer compliance rules, which caused so much turmoil in the last several years. Essentially, uh, under our rule, uh, the employer or carrier must begin uh, issuing temporary disability benefits on or before the 18th day after lost time, meaning the disability event, or within 10 days after the employer has knowledge of lost time. This gets quite confusing, uh, the distinction between when the, uh, particularly in situa situations where the employee did not specifically report anything to anybody, they just sort of disappeared from the workplace. Uh, in those circumstances, the board's going to penalize us for not beginning benefits promptly. Of course, uh, you can always appeal that or argue, hey, uh, judge, how are we supposed to know this guy was losing time uh, due to an injury at work? They just simply disappeared from the workplace. And it's a very common circumstance that that happens. It's uh, not easy for us to sort of dispose of those cases. Uh, and most of the time when we are handling issues where the there may have been knowledge of an injury, but the person has not come back to the workplace or they do not have an out-of-work note, uh, the recommendation is made to begin making payments at the minimum rate, which is $150 per week, to avoid a payer issue. Temporary disability benefits in New York are capped at two-thirds of the claimant's average weekly wage, subject to maximums and minimums, which are within the workers' compensation statute and change every year based on the state average weekly wage. 
The minimum has been $150 for several years now, but the maximum rate changes every year, and that's pegged or uh, indexed to the state average weekly wage. The new maximum temporary disability rate in New York is $904.74 per week, and that's for injuries with date of loss July 1st, 2018 to June 30, 2019. Every year this rate changes. Uh, it's been creeping up every single year. And I'm certain that on July 1, 2019, we'll have a higher rate. Uh, please note that the rate in effect at the time of loss controls. Average weekly wage is the driver of so much exposure and so much uh, uh, of what we do in workers' compensation in New York. And that's because New York is a wage loss state uh, for compensation purposes. So determining the actual average weekly wage of the individual claimant is of paramount importance in defending these cases. Obviously, we're gonna to wanna to look to actual wages earned by the employee. That's the most powerful and the most useful tool. Uh, in years past, uh, the New York board would direct the employer to produce a C-240 form of the claimant's actual average weekly wages. Now, Generally speaking, that's our best argument or our best position as the employer to determine what the actual wages were. New York also has rules concerning multipliers where the claimant has not worked uh, for a complete year for the employer. And those multipliers essentially say things like, well, if this was a four day a week worker, take their average daily wage, multiply it by 200, and that's how you come up with their average yearly wage, then divide that by 52, and that's their average weekly wage. Well, the secret is that never comes out to a average weekly wage, uh, which is representative of the employee's actual weekly wage. Now, the same thing with the 260 multiple, which is frequently employed when the claimant was a five-day-a-week worker. Claimant's attorneys are always going to want to employ multipliers whenever the claimant has worked anything less than 52 weeks in a year. And the reason they want to do that is because almost invariably it results in an inflated average weekly wage. We're always going to want to argue that the judge should use actual wages divided by duration of employment up to a year if less than a year of employment is available. Uh, the uh, courts will also ask employers to provide similar workers payroll and the similar worker is defined as someone uh, who is in the same job category the same, same job title uh, does not in, require them to be in the identical jurisdiction or geographic location again we generally wanted uh, uh, not bring in a similar worker payroll because again uh, we'd much rather look at the actual average weekly wages of an employee now this can get a little bit difficult uh, particularly where the employees only work for three or four days and then gets their uh, alleged on-the-job injury. Uh, but those circumstances are actually kind of rare. It's much more common that the employees worked for us for seven, eight, nine, or ten months, uh, and then they've had a minor injury at work, and all of a sudden uh, the courts or the claimant's attorneys are trying to get a highly inflated average weekly wage, which then, of course, will drive the cost of the claim up over the lifetime of the claim. So this is an area where the risk professional, claims professional, uh, the defense attorney, the employer, we all need to be working together carefully and partnering on determining what we think the right average weekly wage is and then making sure that we advocate for the right average weekly wage. Uh, New York also allows concurrent employment uh, to be calculated into average weekly wage 
in general, we attempt to dispute this as much as possible. And the reason for that is all of a sudden, uh, this claimant who earns $300 a week for us part-time is claiming that they have seven other jobs and they're all off the books and they made $1,000 in these other jobs. Well, it's really hard for us to dispute that and, of course, prove that that's inaccurate. Uh, we've also had circumstances where I've had uh, cases in which claimants went and backfiled taxes in order to allege that concurrent employments were higher or that they were earning off the books uh, bonuses or tips. Uh, and so these are all areas for us to be quite cautious. So far, we've talked about temporary disability benefits in the context of total temporary disability, and that would be someone who has no ability to do their work. It's actually fairly common for the claimant's physician to say that they have some work capacity. And in fact, the entire C-4.0 uh, body of medical or family of medical forms in New York which are the required uh, medical narratives to be utilized by physicians practicing in this state, include statements or requirements that the physician discuss whether or not uh, the claimant can do some modified or accommodated duty work. In our parlance, uh, the doctor will often comment their ability to do work as mild, moderate, or marked, which translates to 25, 50, or 75% uh, disability. That is then uh, multiplied, that percentage times uh, the benefit rate, which results in a lower temporary disability benefit uh, for the claimant. So for example, in situations where the claimant has a 75% uh, disability rate, uh, the formula that I recommend people use is simply take that number percentage divided by 150 and multiplied by the average weekly wage, of course, subject to the maximums and minimums. But in our chart here that's on the screen, there's three different ways of calculating uh, what the doctor's uh, description of the overall disability translates into in a partial temporary disability. Regardless of what formula is used, it's important to know that New York does recognize partial temporary disability. New York also has no limit on temporary disability in terms of partial or total, but since the statutory changes in April of 2017, the employer is allowed to claim a credit where the uh, temporary disability exceeds two and a half years. All right, let's talk about when uh, lost time compensation is payable. First of all, you only pay it where there has been an injury that's directly related to a workplace accident which results in lost time. It's important for us to distinguish cases in which the claimant merely retired voluntarily or decided to leave their profession and change their entire profession to something completely new. Anytime the claimant voluntarily removes themselves from the employment or from the line of business, they are no longer entitled to temporary disability benefits. This also means that when the claimant uh, refuses a, an offer of accommodated work, retires, or no longer is looking for work within their medical restrictions, we can end temporary disability benefits. And of course, we can end them when the claimant has reached maximum medical improvement. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a claimant who is refusing to return to the employment or refusing to seek light duty work. There are a couple steps we've got to go through to terminate benefits in those circumstances. First, we need a light duty release in hand, and that would be a medical note, and typically 
on a C-4.2 family of forms saying that the claimant has some uh, light duty work capacity. The employer uh, should offer light duty to the uh, claimant. If the claimant fails to respond or fails to return to the workplace, then we can file an RFA-2, which is a request for further action, asking the uh, judge to suspend benefits. Uh, the other thing we can do is, and let's say we can't offer light duty in our employment, uh, we don't have the opportunity to offer light duty uh, work. Well, uh, the claimant still has a, an affirmative duty to go out and look for light duty work uh, somewhere else. Uh, the board now has a new form, a C-258.1 form, which requires the claimant to record all the places where they are looking for work independent of the workplace. And this is a new form that was issued in July of 2017, and it was issued and is distinguished from the prior form, which was a C-258 form, uh, which uh, would uh, show that the claimant was complying or participating in uh, an aided job. This new C-258.1 is very specific and requires the claimant to say the person that they contacted, where they looked for work, what was the position they applied for. And I just want to remind my audience that uh, where the claimant puts as the result of that work search that, quote, they're not hiring, close quote, that's not a good enough reason to show that there's a job search effort. If the place you go to look for jobs is not hiring, that's really nugatory, it's a nullity. You're not really looking for a job there. Uh, and so they actually have to have an open position that you applied for. And the reason why you didn't get the job should be something like uh, job filled or they couldn't accommodate my light duty requirements or something else, but it cannot say uh, they're simply not hiring. In other words, there wasn't a job there ever. I'd also remind the audience that this new C-258 form, uh, point one, excuse me, point one form, plus a subpoena can be used to go to these uh, employers that the claimant alleges they sought work with and see if they actually did and see what they told this potential employer. Uh, many times we've found that even though they're putting down on these forms that they looked for jobs places, that they didn't actually look for a job there. And the employer says they have no record of the job seeker. All right, um, I want to remind the audience as well that there is an opportunity uh, for the claimant to both go to state job placement services and also for us to offer private job placement services. Uh, a lot of my employers have utilized uh, the uh, vendors or services that will find light duty jobs for the claimant or uh, will employ them directly. Uh, also, some of my employers have offered uh, jobs working with various charities to the employee as an opportunity to get them back into the workforce and earning some money. And I really encourage this because every statistic we've ever seen shows that the longer a claimant is out of the active job market, the less likely it is that they'll ever return. So not only can this reduce exposure in some of these cases, but it certainly can uh, help and facilitate the overall goal of returning this uh, uh, prior employee or maybe current employee to some type of gainful employment, even if it's not going to be with us. All right. That's a little bit of an overview on temporary disability benefits in New York. I thank everyone for joining me today. I cannot do questions live today, but certainly will accept any questions you have over email and be very happy to respond as soon as I can. Next month, we're going to be talking about medical treatment. We're going to be talking about medical treatment guidelines, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about the new uh, prescription formulary. So please join us for that. Uh, thanks again.
joining us. I hope you have a great week. See you soon.